Well, as you know now, I'm uh, wrapping up my time at the chapel, and I've been uh, preaching a, a series of, of, of things and talking about a variety of topics that, that I hope all of us keep front and center in our, in our faith journey. Over the last few weeks, I've, I've preached about grace and forgiveness and faith, and today I'm going to touch on the topic of hope, because I think hope is something that we could all use a little bit of a dose of in this day and age. I did ask Miha to sing that song this morning, that Jimmy Buffett song, A Lot to Drink About, and I asked him to play that song, not, not because drinking is a good thing, or not that alcohol is healthy or helpful, but I believe the song reflects what can happen when we lose hope. That tune was released in 2009 and reflects not only a world that was deeply in trouble at the time, but the fact that we remain an imperiled planet with much suffering. But then again, that was the case, if you heard me say, last century and the century before that and the century before that and the century before that. And in response, we certainly can drink or try and numb our pain with alcohol in a variety of ways. Yes, we can do that. Um, we can respond to our world by becoming very cynical people. We can try and hide and isolate. We can pretend things aren't really that bad. We can also, however, dive into our faith and turn to Jesus and try and stay focused on hope in the midst of taking action where we can to correct what is wrong. Hope is not a passive thing. Hope, in fact, is the fuel that gives us the energy we need to act in response to what is wrong. But I will say, as I think about the lyrics, I, over the years in my life, have felt some of those things, haven't you? Here's some of the excerpts from the lyrics. Watching the news only gives me the blues. There's too much going wrong. We've got a lot to drink about. Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. CNN keeps bumming me out. I can't take another doomsday minute. How many, have felt, how many of us have felt that? I can't take another doomsday minute. Well, as an aside, today's sermon is not about the war in Israel, nor is it intended to be a commentary on all the horror that is going on, the suffering, the pain, nor is it meant to be commentary on religious fanatics that are often at the root of such things or terrorists or what we should be doing in response. But today is about something else that we need to carry with us as we respond to what's going on around us, both far away and close at home. And I think what we need to keep in our pockets always is hope, because hope is what keeps us going. Hope is what gives us the fuel to act. You know, as I think about Jesus coming among us as human beings, when Jesus showed up, the Middle East was a mess. It was a terrible time. Part of the problem is there were religious leaders that were off the rails, nothing new. Some of the most pr prominent religious leaders were not known for love and kindness and humility, but rather arrogance, anger, nationalism, political involvement, rigid, narrow ways of thinking. Killing in the name of God was not considered out of bounds by such folks. That's kind of the religious environment to, into which Jesus came. And then there was a terrible political situation and all the conflicts going on with Rome and this government and that government 
things were absolute mess. But it was precisely into such a mix that God decided to come in person as Jesus to shake things up, turn perspectives upside down, challenge self-centeredness, and demonstrate in astonishing ways what God is really about. Jesus came specifically at a very messy time. And what's amazing about that time is that the world's power, the power of powerful people, were no match for Jesus' power. And despite the actions of many hostile and misguided people, Jesus was able to heal and guide and soothe, instill peace and confidence, to forgive, to spread grace and love, and he crushed any reason for any of us to ever fear death. He did all of that in the midst of a very terrible time. And the coming of Jesus was not just about what was happening then, but all about what's going on right now within each of us. You see, the same power that turned everything on its head when Jesus was around is exactly the same power that resides within you and within me right now. The power of God is within us, just like it was within Jesus. Here's a sampling of what we learned from Scripture about the power of God within us. God gives us His strength and power. God's power is at work within us. God's power comes into us in our weaknesses. Be strengthened with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And God in Scripture says, I will give you strength. I will help you. I will keep you steady and help you keep a firm grip on you. So it's a foundation for why we need to be hopeful is that God's great power is within us. A source of strength. A source of hope. A source of energy when we feel spent, used up, at wit's end, or simply exhausted. The message is that God invites us to turn to God's power, and God's power overcomes in ways our own power cannot. We do not have to do this life or deal with all that is wrong through our own reserves. That is a great message of hope for all of us. The power of God to help each of us make it through and overcome whatever it is is within each of us. But I'd like to dive into hope for a few moments in a more general sense, what it is and why it can be helpful. One definition is that hope is to expect with confidence, to expect not what is bad, but to confidently expect whatever it is that God has in mind for us. One person says hope embraces expectation, trust, and patient waiting. Hope is all about trusting God, trusting that the future belongs to God. Trusting Jesus, what Jesus said, that there's ultimately nothing to fear. Hope is about believing that good will happen, that God's will will be done, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. As one person says, hope is not the exclusion of the bad in life. Instead, hope is the power that leads us through the bad situations in life allowing us to live fully regardless of what is happening. Hope is believing that no matter what may come our way, we can trust God completely. So one th- question to think about is, if we're struggling with hope, where are we with trusting God? Because hope comes from trusting God. Now, I, like each of you here today, have gone through rotten things in life, stuff that has cut me to the core. My life, I have felt God's absence, 
I have felt faith to be useless at times. I've gone through moments where I didn't know where to turn. So whatever I have to say about hope today has come about through such passages along with a ton of hard work and prayer and guidance from others, immersing myself in Scripture and ultimately through Christ himself. I am still working on hope because I want hope to be more and more part of my journey as I pray it will be part of your journey more and more every day. Being a Christian is about living a full life with abundant joy, blessings, and good things happening. But, as we've talked about many times, being a Christian was never meant to give us a pass on pain. Being a Christian is all about having hope in the midst of pain that gets us through to the other side of that pain and trusting that when it's all said and done, God has it covered, knows what he is doing, and all will be well. Here's what Paul wrote to the people in Rome about hope. You all know these verses. Our sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Paul was saying to us that hope comes through the stuff that we go through, especially if we yield and turn that stuff over to God, we're in the midst of it. The soil from which hope grows is pain. Who needs hope if life is perfect? Well, here are a few other reasons to have hope. In the Gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And within it are found some of the most magnificent teachings of Jesus. The sermon begins with what are known as the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are persecuted, and etc., and etc., etc. Now, some people over the centuries have misread the Beatitudes and concluding, concluded that God wants us to be poor, to mourn, to be persecuted, that somehow these conditions are praiseworthy, to be sought after, but nothing could be further from the truth. Here's what the writer Dallas Willard says about this with some slight adaptations. The Beatitudes are not a recommended way of living, nor are they a description of who ends up on top. Rather, they are illustrations that God is fully present for those who are in life circumstances that seem to be beyond all hope. The Beatitudes are an illustration of that God is fully present for those who are in life circumstances that seem to be beyond all hope. The Beatitudes are an expression that no one is beyond God's help or excluded from God. Dallas Willard goes on to write, Blessed are the repulsive, those who smell bad, the flunkouts and dropouts and burnouts. Blessed are the broken, the broken, the drugheads, the divorced, the HIV positive, the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the overemployed, the underemployed, and the unemployable. Blessed are the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children on the street, the lonely, the incompetent, the emotionally dead, the emotionally starved. They are all riotously celebrated at the party of Jesus. In other words, no matter what, regardless of what is happening, no one is beyond Christ's reach, care, love, concern, strength, energy, power. No one, hence hope. That's what the Beatitudes are about. And through all of this, 
Jesus offers us transformation. Dallas Willard continues to write, Transformation through God reaching into whatever it is we're dealing with is possibly the most pervasive theme of hope in the Bible. I'm going to read that again. Transformation through God reaching into whatever it is we're dealing with is possibly the most pervasive theme of the Bible. Talk about a reason to have hope. And yet there is more. The beginning of John's Gospel, which we heard this morning, there is a great verse that reads, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. In this verse, Jesus is the light, and darkness is everything that is wrong and bad and evil. But what's always struck me about this verse is the Greek in which the verse was written. In Greek, it actually reads, the light in the darkness shines, and the darkness did not grasp, grasp the light. The word grasp means to seize or to take over. So this verse is basically saying, the light is impregnable, impenetrable, inviable, unconquerable by darkness. Said more simply, Jesus cannot be touched or gotten to or overtaken by darkness in all that is wrong. And our hope is based on Jesus, this light. And so we can be confident in our source of hope, which is Christ. Confident that no matter what, Christ overcomes and darkness loses. And there are more reasons to have hope. A number of years ago, I quoted this quote in different settings, and it's a Nadia Boltz-Weber quote in paraphrase form, and I love it. And it's somewhat extended, but here's what she writes in essence. I was thinking about how at different times in my life, powerful forces were controlling my life. My addiction, my unhealthy relationship, my horrible boss, my depression. These were the emperors who ruled for a certain number of years. During their reign, it felt like nothing else existed. Who or what in your world seems so powerful, it feels like it's inescapable, like it's in charge? Who or what in your world right now seems so powerful, it feels like it's inescapable, like it's in charge? Nadia goes on to write, John the Baptist said, prepare the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain shall be made low, and the rough ways will be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Ultimately, all be saved, delivered, and preserved. Well, Nadia continues, When I find myself in the midst of powers of this world that seem so inescapable, and I can't see past them, I need hope. I need real hope, not just cheerful sentiment. I need for something to feel more powerful than the forces that rage around us. Think of the powerful, terrible, awful people around Jesus, she writes. The only reason these tiny, pathetic, so-called powerful people are even remembered 2,000 years later is as a footnote to Jesus. For Jesus, Pontius Pilate is a footnote. For Jesus, the mean-spirited religious leaders are a footnote. For Jesus, the chief priests who wanted him killed, a footnote. For Jesus, the men that crucified him, a footnote. And she continues, so my prayer when I don't know what to pray, is that I will name every powerful thing that feels inescapable right now a footnote. My back pain, footnote. 
my mean boss, footnote. My struggle with sadness, footnote. My illness, footnote. My grief, footnote. My brokenness, footnote. My child's troubles, footnote. And she continues, don't mistake me. These are real things and they have a very hard, terrible, and painful effect on us. But in the big picture, God will turn it around. God will be victorious. I cling to the promise that God is bigger than anything. We can hope that one day every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low and the rough ways will be made smooth and all of us will see the salvation of God. So maybe part of having hope is knowing the tough stuff we're experiencing now will one day just be a footnote as God will prevail. This doesn't mean don't grieve or cry or get help or express pain or deny reality. Rather, it means in the midst of whatever it is, to name all that it is, is ultimately a footnote to who we are with God. Well, there are many, many other reasons to have hope, like the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that death is not the end but a new beginning. There's one final one I want to touch on. Paul wrote in his letter to the people of Rome from one version of the Bible these words. Paul wrote, Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. In other words, because of Christ, we don't have to live under a low-lying black cloud. Paul goes on, You see, a new power is in operation in our lives. We go through exactly what Christ goes through, And if we go through hard times with Christ, then we're certainly going to go through good times with Christ. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired, God's Spirit is right alongside of us, helping us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it does not matter. God does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. So what do you think? With God on our side, how can we lose? Do you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this faces us because of Jesus' love for us. And I am absolutely convinced, Paul writes, that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can ever get between us and God's love because of the way that our Lord Jesus, Master, has embraced us. God wins in the end, and nothing will separate us from God. And I want to wrap with this. When I was a child, even a teen, we used to play a game. Maybe you played it. Maybe you played it in a variety of forms. That game was truth or dare. Any of you ever play it? It's a little riskier as an adult. Well, I have shared some thoughts and some truth this morning about hope. This morning, I'd like to ask each of us to consider taking on a dare for a moment. And that dare to dare to hope, to ask God to help you and me dare to hope and be hopeful people. 
to strive to hope with God's guiding hands in the midst of it all, to ask God to help hope be the foundation from which we take action. And if we are already hopeful people, to dare to hope even more deeply and profoundly. As I say this, I'm not only inviting you to dare to hope more, but I'm inviting myself and those I love that are experiencing hard things to dare to hope more as well. Let's all dare to hope. Dare ourselves to trust God, to turn to God, to confidently hand it all over to God so we can live with peace and joy and gratitude. And there's something interesting I've discovered when we dare to hope. Something that happens. You see, maybe, just maybe, when we dare to hope, what we're also doing is defying. Defying all that is wrong. Defying all that is evil. Defying all the hate mongers. Defying all that is amiss. Defying all that is as it should be. Maybe when we hope, we're defying all the negative voices and forces out there that try and lead us away from hope, to cynicism and despair. And maybe when we dare to hope, we even tell evil where to stick it. So let us dare to hope this morning and ask God to help us to take on that dare and with God's power become more hopeful each and every day of our lives. And let us take some moments in silent prayer.